Hey, good evening everyone. Welcome to our Roots session number two, the Passover. And if we can get everybody to come on in, we'll close those doors, get started. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. And tonight I pray the prayer that I've prayed uh, since we started these sessions. Open our minds to understand the scriptures because to know the word is to know the son. To know the son is to know the father. To know the father is eternal life. So, Lord, this is life, and without you, there's only death. So, Lord, uh, give us life tonight through the Word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have you ever wondered how God looks at time? Does He wear a watch? Is there a big one up there, like a great big clock that's ticking? How would the one that is unaffected by time look at time? He's outside of time. In fact, just for us earthlings, what is time? It's the earth that's turning in 24 hours. It makes one revolution. It's what traveling around the sun. It makes the one year. So that's time. If God is above all of that, then what in the world would time mean to him? He's outside of our rotation of the earth. He's outside of our uh, revolving around the sun. So what is time? While God is not affected by time, we are. We are. And God wants to interact with us, so God uses the appointed times to do so. This is where this series uh, is going, <clears throat> God's appointed times. God reveals his appointed times to the people of Israel shortly after they're brought out of Egypt. And tonight you'll see, it's like, He's going to reveal an appointed time to start time over. The Passover, which will be tonight's topic, will be the be a new beginning of time. You'll see that shortly. The book of Leviticus records God's law, or some people call it the law of Moses. These are the rules that God has established with Israel. And why? I touched on this a little bit last week. Rules laws that would allow something to happen that didn't happen um, since the Garden of Eden. And quite frankly, uh, over 2,000 years. God was going to dwell among the people. His presence was going to come and live in the, in the camp of Israel behind the t curtain. He's gonna, his presence is going to come. And if, and if I'm going to live among you, there will have to be some rules. So the law of Moses was kind of the outlining of the rules to which the people could live in the presence of God and not be destroyed by the glorious presence of God, by his holiness. So let's start with Leviticus 23. The Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, which you are to proclaim as official days and holy assembly. Now who's doing this, Moses or God? It's God. Moses is just following instructions. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day of complete rest, an official day for the Holy Assembly. It is the Lord's Sabbath day, and it must be observed wherever you live. So the reason I use that one again, even though last week was the Sabbath, God appoints times. He sets the appointment not man. You might wonder why we would teach this series <clears throat> in Leviticus. Why, would we, why are we dealing with Leviticus? In the Old Testament and Israel, when we're the church in the New Testament, 
You will never understand the New Testament until you understand the Old Testament. I'm going to tell you, with me, it was like this um, revelation. Uh, when I first got into the ministry, I spent three years where I just, me personally, I focused on the Old Testament. And when I, when I did, everything in the New Testament came to life. And, and this is why I'm excited about this series. I concluded something I never knew. Everything in the Old Testament reveals Jesus. Everything. And when you start having eyes to see Jesus in the Old Testament, like last week, he's the Sabbath. He is the Sabbath. Not, not some reference of the Sabbath. He is the Sabbath. He is our rest. What is the Sabbath? The rest that everybody wants. Peace with God and rest. He is the Sabbath. So that's why we're in the Old Testament. It's revelations of more than dates from the past. All of God's appointed times have an impact on the church. Every one of these uh, feasts or festivals or Jewish appointed times, they have an impact on the church. In fact, all of God's appointed times reveal the head of the church, who's Jesus. Even though these appointed times were set 1,500 years before Jesus, because God's outside of time. He's outside of time. A day into the Lord is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. He's outside of our time window. So Leviticus 23, here we go. Let's jump in. In addition to the Sabbath, that was last week's topic. These are the Lord's appointed festivals. The official days for the Holy Assembly that are to be celebrated at their proper times each year. Now the Sabbath was weekly, right? But what we're going to do now, and I'm going to go through the list is um, these are going to be annual. They're going to be once a year. And, and uh, I'll say it a hundred times in the session, the Jewish people lived on a lunar calendar. We live on a solar calendar. So they don't always match exactly year by year because we're running on different time scales. They're to be celebrated at their proper times each year. The Lord's Passover begins at sundown on the 14th day. Why Why sundown? Because the Jewish people, again, when does their day begin? Sundown. When does our day begin? At midnight. So we actually consider a day, just like conversationally, in the morning. But they don't do it like we do. They're, they're not only a lunar calendar, everything begins at sundown. So <clears throat> it'll begin at sundown on the 14th day of the first month. On the next day, the 15th day of the month, you must begin celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, don't get them confused, Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread. They are a day apart, but they are two separate events. So I'll tell you, next week, next Wednesday night, Lord willing, we're still here. It'll be that one, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This festival to the Lord continues for seven days. Passover is one day. And during that time, the bread you eat must be made without yeast. On the first day of the festival, all, that would be Passover. All the people must stop their ordinary work and observe an official day for holy assembly. For seven days, you must present special gifts to the Lord. On the seventh day, the people must again stop all their ordinary work to observe an official day for holy assembly. <clears throat> the Passover. It must begin. God, what, what does it matter? It matters. 
It matters. Does Sabbath have to be on Saturday? You know what? It matters. It matters. The Passover must begin on the 14th day at twilight of Nisan. In our calendar, it would hit somewhere in March or April of each year. Um, it, it moves because we are solar and they are lunar. God gives this appointed time of Passover to Israel while they are in the wilderness. So when I say they're in the wilderness, what does that mean? Moses has come. He has taken these two million that have been 400 years in Egyptian bondage. All they knew was bondage. If you've been, if you're... If your people have been in bondage for 400 years, then your daddy and your granddaddy and your great-granddaddy and his daddy all were slaves. Nobody knew what it was like to not be a slave in Egypt. So Moses has taken these, <clears throat> excuse me, I got a frog in my throat. He's taken these two million people and he's got them in the wilderness and God's telling them how we're going to live together while we go to the promised land. But where did Passover begin? Did it begin in the wilderness? No, it didn't begin in the wilderness. It's going to be appointed time given in the wilderness. But where does it come from? It was the final plague, plague number 10, after the darkness. And I think that's important too. What's plague number 9? Darkness, so dark you could feel it. What's plague number 10? The Passover. So if we're ever going to understand this appointed time now... And Israel, we had to find out where it began. So let's go back to the beginning. Exodus 11.4. So now they're in Egypt. They haven't, they haven't been set free. Moses is there. Pharaoh's there. Here we go. Moses announced to Pharaoh. So who's really announcing this to Pharaoh? Moses. No. Moses is the mouthpiece. God is announcing through Moses to Pharaoh. This is what the Lord says. At midnight tonight, I will pass through the heart of Egypt. All the firstborn sons. Who's, who's coming through Egypt? I. It's not Moses. I will pass through the heart of Egypt. God is coming. Okay. I will pass through the heart of Egypt. All the firstborn sons. Now, now listen carefully. Firstborn sons. This is very specific. All the firstborn sons will die in every family in Egypt. From the oldest son of Pharaoh, who sits on his throne, to the oldest son of the lowliest servant girl who grinds the flour. Every firstborn of all the livestock. Now, now we're talking about animals. They will die. And then a loud wail will rise throughout the land of Egypt, a wail like no one has heard before or will ever hear again. What, what, what's the wail? Your oldest son is dead. He's dead. He just died. But among the Israelites, it will be so peaceful that not even a dog will bark. Whoa. Now this next statement is wow to me. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites. He knows those who belong to him. He knows. That's important. 
all the officials of Egypt will run to me and fall to the ground before me. Now, why is that important? Because this is the 10th plague and all nine of the plagues, the response of Egypt was no. Let my people go. No. But on the 10th one, they will beg you to get out of town. Take them and leave. All the officials of Egypt will run to me and fall to the ground before me. Please leave. They will beg. Hurry and take all your followers with you. Only then will I go. Then, burning with anger, Moses left Pharaoh. Now let's jump down to Exodus 12. While all the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses and Aaron. Now they're still in the land of Egypt. From now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you. Now, what do you think that means? Your entire life, as you know it, is about to start over. I'm going to create a new kind of a calendar for you. Before slavery and after slavery. In bondage and after bondage. This calendar, well, this, this is going to totally change your life. Why? For 400 years, all you people knew was bondage. And now you're going to know freedom. From now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you. <clears throat> Announced to the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice. One animal for each household. If a family is too small to eat a whole animal, let them share with another family in the neighborhood. Divide the animal according to the size of each family and how much they can eat. The animal you select must be a one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat with no defects. Now let's focus on that for a moment. A one-year-old has to be a male. It can be a sheep. It can be a goat, but it cannot be lame. It cannot be blind in one eye. It cannot be crippled. It has to be a totally healthy animal, right? You think it matters? Oh, yes, it matters. Take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of the first month. Why such detail? Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. Take, uh, excuse me, they are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and top of the door frames of their houses. Now, you would hope this would be a house that you're fixing to move out of because you're just going to mess up the front door. And they are about to leave. It's interesting, and they're going to put blood all over their front door. Where they, eat the, where they eat the animal, where they live. That same night, they must roast the meat over a fire, eat it along with bitter salad greens and bread without, made without yeast. Do not eat any of the meat raw or boiled in water. The whole animal, including the head, the legs, and the internal organs, must be roasted over a fire. Do not leave any of it until the next morning. Burn whatever is not eaten before morning. These are your instructions for eating this meal. Be fully dressed, 
Why so many instructions? You're going to find out, okay? I'm asking the question so you'll think about it. Be fully dressed. Wear your sandals. Carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency. For this, here it comes, is the Lord's Passover. On that night, why so many rules? Something that will shake the earth is about to happen. On that night, I will pass. God, I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I, God, will execute judgment. That'll make the hair stand on the back of your neck. I am coming to the earth. Remember, all of this was so that he would, he's going to live among the Israelites. But before he lives among the Israelites, he's going to execute judgment upon the Egyptians. He is able to distinguish between the two. I will execute judgment among all, against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. If you go through the ten plagues, if you go through the plagues and look at what God um, cursed or the curse, gnats, flies, frogs, all those, they were all in some way deity, false gods to the Egyptian people. I don't have time to go into all that, but I want you to understand that what he was doing with the ten curses was to reveal the pagan idolatry of the Egyptian people, A, and then B, reveal the one true God who had power over all of them. None of them could stand against him. None of them. I will execute judgment against the gods of Egypt. Why? For I am the Lord. But the blood on your doorpost will serve as a sign marking the house where you are staying. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Now, let's just stop for a moment. Can anybody already know why the Passover is the Passover? When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. This is a day to remember each year from generation to generation must celebrate it as a special festival to the Lord. This is a law for all time. It's not going to expire. Um, and I want you to think about this as we move on. Your new life begins at Passover. Mine did too. When the blood of the Lamb covered my temple, my house, death passed over me. My life started fresh. It is to be born again. This is the first day of your new life. To be born again. Church is the first day of our new life, right? God was making a way for death to pass over His chosen people. The blood of the lamb is that way. The meal was called Seder. 
Every part of that meal represents their deliverance from bondage. Remember, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that'll be next week's topic, follows Passover. They are two distinct appointed times, and both of them have their own meanings. We're gonna, we'll get into the next one uh, detailed next Wednesday. That is the origin and the setting of God's appointed time for Passover. Um, so here's the question. Okay, there's your history lesson. What did, the, what, so here comes Jesus. Um, so Jesus follows Moses about 1,500 years. What did Jesus do with Passover? I asked you last week, I'm going to ask you in every one of these sessions, what did Jesus do with it? What did Jesus do with the Sabbath? That was last week's topic. So what did Jesus do with the Passover 1,500 years later? So we're going to read Matthew and Luke's version and start to look at Jesus and Passover. And what did he do? What did, how did he deal with Pass, Passover? Matthew 26. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, and, and we know that the first day actually is Passover, and then seven days are the Feast of Unleavened Bread. On the first day of the Feast of Unle Festival of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to prepare the Passover meal for you? Because that's the first thing that happens in that feast, those two feasts. Well, what do you want us to do? So they're Jews. All of them are Jewish. They all... Um, they're in Jerusalem, and they know we have to do the Passover. They know. He's not saying, now you have to do the... No, they're asking him. So they know that Jews do Passover. As you, so here's Jesus' answer. As you go into the city, they're in Jerusalem, he told them, you will see a certain man. Tell him, the teacher says, my time has come. And I will eat the Passover meal with my disciples at your house. Now, if you're that certain man, you better be that certain man. Or you're going to wonder why you come into my house. Right? That's, they're going to see a certain man. And what does that mean? God has already put in that certain man's heart that you, you've got an upper room. And in that upper room, I'm going to have the last Passover, the last supper with my disciples. Interesting. And so how did they know he was the certain man? He had a t-shirt said certain man on the front of it. <laughs> I made that up. Don't go tell somebody that. <laughs> so the disciples did as Jesus told them and prepared the Passover meal at certain man's house. He said, my time has come. Did you catch it? Well, so you already know the answer. He's the Passover lamb. My time has come. He knows. My time has come. Um, he's the Sabbath. He's the Passover. Think about this description from the Gospel of Luke as we move forward. This statement is at the beginning of Passion Week. We're getting ready to read Luke. Uh, the countdown to the cross when the Passover lamb Jesus would be sacrificed. So... Um, Luke twenty two seventeen. This is Luke's version. I'll just read Matthew's. Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. 
Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. He replied, as soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water. Now Luke gives more detail. So not only does he have a t-shirt, that says certain man, he's carrying a pitcher of water. It says, I'm the certain man, this is water. Follow him at the house. He enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? Now everybody understands this is what we traditionally know as the Last Supper, right? You know that's what we're talking about. He, the certain man, will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. They went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table, and Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before. It's kind of hard to read. My suffering begins. He knows. He knows what's about to happen. I want to I want to share this with you before they take me and begin to beat me and the process of killing the lamb begins. Let that sink in. Kind of puts a different mood on the Last Supper, doesn't it? You kind of get to see what's really going on. For I tell you now, and this is so prophetic, I won't eat this meal again. This is the last Passover he will celebrate. Until. I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now let me ask you, how many of you know when that will happen? What will that be? What he's saying is, I'm going to eat this Passover with you. It'll be the last time we'll celebrate Passover together until, until Passover is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Stay with me. So that's um, verse 17. So I want you to picture that this is kind of the bread portion. It's kind of hard to describe it without linking it to the Feast of Unleavened Bread because they are the same event, separate but the same event. So I want you to kind of picture he's got some bread, the unleavened bread. And he's saying, I'm not going to eat this bread with you in this way until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So then now he takes the cup. Verse 17. He takes the cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. And he said, take this cup and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. So both of them, do, do you see what, what he's really saying simply is that this is the last Passover that I'll have until the kingdom comes. Now listen, it doesn't say it's the last time we'll have Passover. It's the last time we'll have Passover until the kingdom comes. That's important difference. When will this Passover um, finally, completely be fulfilled. Jesus told them he would not eat this meal, drink this cup until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So my curious mind, um, I'm always looking to say, okay, when, when does the word say that will be? What, what do I, what do we have to look forward to? What, what, 
what will it be? So I could go a lot of places without, I don't have time to go everywhere, but let's go to Revelation 19. What are we looking for? When will he take the cup and when will he take the bread and when will we eat with him and what will that be like? When, when, what's that next scene? The kingdom of heaven will be fulfilled. Revelation 19:7. Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to him for the time of the wedding feast. Some translations call it the wedding supper. For let us rejoice. Somebody say hallelujah. Let us rejoice and let us give honor to him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and the bride, that's the church, has prepared herself for what? What are they doing in these texts from Matthew and Luke? They're preparing for the Passover. What's the church doing right now? I hope she's preparing for the Passover. Oh my, that's what's next. It's the wedding supper. We're going to sit at a table with him. And he will once again take the bread and he will once again take the cup. Do you see it? She has, pre the bride has prepared herself. She's ready. She has been given the finest pure white linen to wear. How do you get this pure white linen? It is the righteousness of Christ. The Passover lamb. She's been given the finest pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. Where do good deeds come from? The righteousness of Christ. It's all from him. Verse 9. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the lamb. And he added, these are the true words that come from God. You are in the story. You and I are invited. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. We've been invited. We've got a Passover in front of us. Right now we're in preparation for the Passover. Let's go to Luke 13, 28. There's another sign. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is Jesus. For you will see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you will be thrown out. Whew. What do you think this is? What are we talking about? There's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is a preview of eternal death. Hail. You're going to see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God as you are thrown out of the kingdom of God. I will not eat this again. I will not drink this again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God that is coming. Some will be prepared for that. Some will refuse to prepare for that. Those who will not prepare for that will be thrown out. Listen carefully. And people will come from all over the world. These are the Gentiles. They will come from all over the world, from east and west and north and south, and they will take their place in the kingdom of God. 
And note this, some who seem least important now will be the greatest then, and, the, and some who are greatest now will be least important then. We've been invited to the Passover, the wedding supper of the Lamb. Now, there's several I could read that if you're not dressed properly when that wedding comes, you will not be allowed to enter. These are all very specific. Did you notice everybody is not going to the wedding supper? Not everyone will go to the wedding feast, the Passover. Go back to Egypt. He said, I am able to distinguish between the Egyptians and the Israelites. Those who are mine, the children of God, and those who are not. Only those who are his will be at the Passover, the next Passover. Let's go to Isaiah 25. In Jerusalem, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. Somebody asked me one time, will there only be vegans in the millennial kingdom? <laughs> nope. Did you catch that? Go check all the translations you want to. It still says choice meat. Okay? In the millennial kingdom. Now, in the eternal kingdom, after that, I'm not sure. I'm hoping at least fish will make the cut. Okay? There, he will remove the cloud of doom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. Sounds like Passover. He will swallow up death forever. Whoa. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. He will remove forever all insults and mockery against his land and his people. The Lord has spoken. In that day, all the people will proclaim, this is our God. We trusted in him. And he saved us. This is the Lord in whom we trusted. Let us rejoice in the salvation he brings. Passover. That's the salvation he brings. Remember, Jesus came. I hit on this pretty heavy last week. Did he come to abolish the law? Or did he come to fulfill the law? So let's go to Matthew 5, 17. This is important in every one of these uh, 11 feasts. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophet. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Can you see it? He, he's accomplishing Passover. He's accomplishing Sabbath. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Jesus is the Sabbath, last week's appointed time. Jesus is the Passover lamb. John the Baptist prepares the way. He is prophesied by Isaiah 750 years in advance. So John the Baptist prepares the way and reveals that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Now, if you're not Jewish and you didn't know the Bible, you would think, 
What does that even mean? Why does John the Baptist call Jesus the Lamb? Now, when you know about Passover, then suddenly all this makes great sense to you, right? John the Baptist announces it. Peter also describes Jesus as the Lamb. So you've got John the Baptist and you've got uh, Peter both announcing Jesus in the frame of the Lamb of God. The Passover Lamb of God. When, you, when I, God the Father, see the blood of the Passover Lamb, I, my judgment and wrath, will pass over you. What if you don't see the blood of the Lamb? I will not pass over you. My wrath and judgment will fall upon you, and you will surely die. Right? So let's go to John 1, 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, let's focus on that for a moment. Why does he say the Lamb takes away the sin of the world? If you go back to Genesis, what brought death? Sin. This is important. What caused Adam and Eve to die? Sin equals death. So what if I could fix sin? I would fix death, right? If sin is the cause of death, then the only way to fix death is to fix sin. So John the Baptist, through the Holy Spirit, saying, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. If you take away the sin of the world, you take away the death of the world. Because sin equals death. It's God's curse. So take away sin, you take away the curse of death, right? A man is coming after me. John the Baptist. A man is coming after me. He's referring to Jesus. Who is far greater than I am. And he existed before me. So John, John was born six months before Jesus. Okay, you with me? John was six months ahead of his cousin Jesus. They're cousins. So John is ahead of Jesus, and yet John says he's before me. He who is coming after me is actually before me. What, what does he mean? He is eternal. He has always been. He, John knows he is the Son of God. He's not from Nazareth. He's not from Bethlehem. He's from heaven. He is eternal. He existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. When did? Here's a trivia question. When, when did John really know that Jesus was the Messiah? And by the way, he was 30 years old when John knew for sure. Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. When? When? What was the scene? The baptism. When, because John says, when I, when I saw the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit told me that when you see the Spirit come upon him and God speak, you will know that he is the one. And John said, now I know for sure. I, I have a feeling he had suspected it for quite a while, but he knew it for sure 
when God opened the heavens and the Spirit came like a dove and, and came upon Jesus. And he says, now I know for sure. Now I'm willing to die. I'm willing to die to testify that you are the Lamb of God. For, okay, that's John, right? Let's go to 1 Peter. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. So these are the ancestors he's referring to. These are the 400 years of Egyptian slaves and wandering in the wilderness. And still most of you don't make it to the promised land. God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Sinless, spotless Lamb of God. What does that sound like? It's the Passover Lamb, right? God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But he has now revealed him to you in these last days. What's the last days? It's always a specific reference to the church age. The last days began when? On the day of Pentecost. Peter stands up and he calls them the last days. He quotes the prophet Joel. And in the prophet Joel, he quotes the last days have begun. We're in the countdown. Do you think we're near the end of the last days? I do. I do. So we ought to be preparing for Passover, right? The blood of Jesus doesn't cover the doorpost of our houses today. The doorpost is our, they cover, his blood covers the doorpost of our hearts. Our hearts. This is the only way for death to pass over our house, this body today. I have one way to escape the wrath of God. The blood of the Lamb. I got one option. If not, uh, I loved it. Years ago, Dr. David Reagan was here, and he said, he always, he makes things so simple. And here's the truth in simplest form. Right now, everyone on the earth is either under the grace of God or the wrath of God. It's all humanity falls into two camps. You are under the grace of God. The blood of the Lamb covers you. Or you're under the wrath of God. The, the blood of the Lamb has not covered you. And the death angel's coming. He's not coming to Egypt. He's coming to you. And you will not survive him. And that, that scripture, many will come from the east and the west and they will see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the kingdom of heaven, but you yourself will be thrown out. And there's weeping and there's gnashing of teeth. Why? Because you yourself did not prepare for Passover. You did not receive the blood of the lamb and you're under the wrath of God. Egypt is a picture of sin and bondage. The blood of the lamb in Egypt, literally, figuratively, literally, literally, excuse me, broke the bondage and set them free. Nine plagues didn't do it, but the blood did. Nine plagues couldn't pull it off, but the blood said, get out of town. Leave Egypt. I don't want you here anymore. You see, it was the blood. Only the blood could do it. Luke twenty-two nineteen. So he, this is the last supper, again, Passover. So he took the bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Jesus took the bread, gave thanks to God for it. He broke it into pieces and gave it to his disciples saying what? He wants them to get the, the, the physical and the spiritual connected. 
this is my body. This is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. He's not going to die spiritually. He's going to die physically. Are you with me? This is not some spiritual representation of Passover. No, this is a physical manifestation of Passover. Jesus is going to die physically. This is my body. This body that houses my soul, my spirit, is going to die. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. Verse 20, after supper, he took another cup of wine. He said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice, the Passover lamb for you. Have you ever thought about communion time being a weekly celebration of Passover? Because that's what I think every Sunday. So when we come here on Sunday and we open the bread and the cup, we are Gentiles in the church age celebrating Passover. Do you think about that? Think about the first two appointed times, Sabbath and Passover. Church, I want you to think about the first two, Sabbath and Passover. Jesus is the Sabbath. He is our rest. He is our daily Sabbath rest. He's the reason I have peace in the midst of great turmoil of the world. He is my Sabbath. He's not just Saturday. He is my Sabbath every day. Jesus is the Passover. He is the way of God for death to pass over us. He is the body and the blood of the Lamb. He is the physical death that gives me physical life. When we take communion on Sunday, we, the Gentile church, are celebrating both the Sabbath and the Passover. Both. Do you think coming to church and taking communion together is important? I can tell you this, it is one of God's appointed times. In the book of Hebrews, it says, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some does. But, listen, but assemble together all the more as you see the day approaching. You're going to need the church more and more. What? The Sabbath and the Passover, as you see the day approaching. What's the day? The wedding supper of the Lamb, the next Passover. We're not trying, as a church, the Gentile church, we're not trying to undo the Sabbath. We're not trying to undo the Passover. We're celebrating both by celebrating Jesus Paul writes to the Gentile church in Corinth and in Ephesus. And I'm going to ask you as I read this, can you see the Passover in the church age? And by the way, Corinthians and Ephesians are both Gentile churches. First Corinthians. Your boasting about this is terrible. Now, I need to give you some context if you don't know what 1 Corinthians 5 is talking about. Uh, there was sexual immorality inside the church. And specifically, they outlined it. There was a man who was having sexual relations with his father's, with his stepmother. 
in which Paul says, even pagans don't do that. You're so corrupt. He says, you're boasting about this. And I can't help but wonder if that boasting wasn't, look at how much mercy and grace we are as a church, that we even allow this to happen. Paul says, you're boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? And what's the church supposed to be doing while we wait for the Passover the, 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 to, be, to be fulfilled in the kingdom of heaven? We're supposed to be preparing ourselves for Passover. I don't know when that's going to happen. So I live in preparation of the Passover. So with that in mind, he says, don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads throughout the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. So much for tolerance inside the church. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, and he, then he, what's he, he's making the connection, not me. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for you. So let us celebrate the festival, not with old bread of wickedness and evil. The mercy and grace of God did not give us license to continue in sin. Right? It did not give us license to continue to sin. So he says... So let us celebrate the Passover, not with the old bread of wickedness and evil. That's yeast in the bread. That's what that means. Next week we'll cover that. But with the new bread of sincerity and truth. Now let's go to Ephesians. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You know what that means? You could not reach Passover. You're Egypt. And when death comes, you're dead. There's no lamb for you. Don't forget, you Gentiles used to be Egypt. You used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. You couldn't reach Passover. And you did not know the covenant promises of God had made to them, to Israel. You lived in this world. Man, you're talking about a sentence. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Why? Because there was no atonement for your sin. So when the death angel comes, when God's judgment comes, you only get wrath. You only get wrath. You didn't have a choice. Boy, I'm glad this scripture didn't end there. Verse 13, but now, somebody say hallelujah. You have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God. Now you have been brought near to him. How? What brought you near to him? By the blood of the lamb, the Passover. Gentiles can have Passover. Jesus is Passover. You can even find all this prophesied in Psalms 22, um, the King, of, King David and the prophecy of Isaiah. I don't have time to read all of those. I'm also going to read a part. I, I challenge, read all of Psalms 22. Psalms 22 is a King David Psalm a thousand years before Jesus. And you know what he's describing? The blood of the Lamb. 
Isaiah 53. I'm going to read Isaiah 53. Um, But just the beginning of, of Psalms 22. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Where is that from? That's a thousand years before the cross. What did Jesus say on the cross? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? It says that he was chosen as the Passover lamb before the foundations of the earth. King David knew this is written to reveal the Messiah in advance. Why? So that if you know in advance that Jesus fulfills every one of these prophecies, then surely he'll be your Passover lamb, right? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you. He's the Passover. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. That's what he cried out. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And by the way, I want you to understand why did he forsake him? Because my sin and your sin was placed on him in that very moment. And God's holiness pulled away from his only son. Because the holiness of God could not dwell with the unholiness that had been placed upon him. And how do I know that? How do I? Okay, and I am going to read Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about Jesus' appearance. I'm going to insert some words for clarity. Nothing about Jesus that would have attracted to us physically. He was despised. And he was rejected. He was a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care that he was despised. Yet it was our weaknesses that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God. Listen, that's so important. We thought that people think that God killed his only son. It was a punishment from God. We thought his punishment was, uh, his troubles were a punishment from God. Uh, A punishment for his own sins. He didn't have any. But he was pierced for our rebellion. That's the cross. This is Isaiah 750 years before Christ. How did Isaiah know this? He was pierced. Listen, um, Christians, uh, excuse me, Jews did not pierce people. They stoned them. They didn't pierce. Piercing is a Roman thing. 750 years. How did they know? The Romans pierced them. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. So this, is the, this came to me years ago, this idea. And, and it, it totally radically transforms my view of the cross. I want you to understand that on the cross of Christ, God did this to his son. He struck him. The wrath of God struck his son. And that was going to be you. And it still can be you if you don't have Passover. God struck his son. Why? He's the substitute. 
He's the lamb. Listen carefully. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was like a lamb. Here's the Passover. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shear, he did not open his mouth unjustly condemned he was led away no one cared that he died without descendants that his life was cut short at midterm or midstream but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people he had done no wrong and he had never deceived anyone but he was buried like a criminal he was put in a rich man's grave but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him do you see it it was the Father's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet, when his life is made an offering, when the Father makes Jesus an offering for sin, he, Jesus, will have many descendants. Do you know what that means? He's going to have a lot of brothers and sisters. Somebody say hallelujah. He's going to have many descendants. I'm planning on being one of those descendants. He will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many. He will make it possible for many, for many to be counted righteous for he bears all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. I am standing in the line at the Tel Aviv airport in Israel this past May. And I'm standing with Tim Moore. And it's a very slow line trying to get on the airplane coming back home from Israel. And I'm standing next to this Jewish guy and this Jewish guy, it's a long line. It's taking a long time. So we start talking and this Jewish guy, he's an Orthodox Jew. He's a very friendly Orthodox Jew. And we start talking back and forth and I'm going to make it as short as I can. And we have this conversation. Finally, I say, uh, what do you do with Isaiah 53? I just got to ask you. Uh, Isaiah 53 is what I just read. What, What do you do with Isaiah 53? And he said, he grinned at me and he said, you're not going to change my mind and I'm not going to change yours. <laughs> I tried. Oh, one thing else I said, I forgot. Uh, I said, who do you say that he is? And he said, he's a good man. He's a good prophet. He's a righteous man, a holy man. But he is not the son of God. Many will come from the east and the west. And they will take their place at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But you will be thrown out. Without the Passover, he won't make it. Do you think that is real? Let me give you some very interesting parallels as we close. The Gospel of Luke records Jesus' parents traveling to celebrate Passover. In Jerusalem, Jesus went with them at the age of 12. It looks like he went with them every year. They went every year to Passover. Luke 2, 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Um, when Jesus was 12-year-old, they attended the... Do you understand that that's an 80-mile walk? 
80 miles. Do you, do you see how important Passover is? Would, would you walk? I, we can't get people to come one mile to church on Sunday. But they walked 80 miles to celebrate Passover in Jerusalem. Now, I don't have time to read it all, but Jesus is in the group, and they, they lose him. They think there must be a big group of them traveling that 80 miles, so they've already traveled quite a distance back to Nazareth when they notice where's Jesus, and he's not there. They go back to the city of Jerusalem, and where do they find him? He's having discussions with the religious elite of that day, and he said, didn't you know I must be in my father's house? He was always connected to Passover. Do you wonder at that t at 12 years of age, did he know? Did he know he would be the Passover lamb? I don't know. The Passover lamb had to be perfect, spotless. Exodus 12:5. The animal you select must be a one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat, without with no defects. Now go to 1 Peter 1.19. I read it earlier. It is the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, but he has now revealed him to you in these last days. These last days, right now, today. I wonder if there's somebody sitting here tonight, and maybe for the first time in your entire life, you get it. Maybe you're in the room tonight. Maybe you're watching on this thing online tomorrow, and for the first time in your life, you get it. That if his blood doesn't cover me, I will not survive. 1 Corinthians 11. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night before he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, gave thanks to it, thanks to God for it, and he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper and saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink. For every time you eat this bread, listen carefully. This is why I read this. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Don't leave off the last part. You're announcing that he died and that he is coming back. So anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord unworthy is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating this bread and drinking this cup. For if you eat this bread or drink this cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. This is why so many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. Do you know what? This can cause you to have physical sickness and physical death. Physical. Um, this is why people are sick and they have diseases because they do not take seriously the Passover. The appointed times. I look around the room and I look at myself and say, we all have one. I'm waiting for the Passover. I believe I'll see in the flesh the return of Christ. I'm going to just keep living my life like that. That's okay. If you think I'm nuts, hallelujah, I'm fine with it. <laughs> Hebrews 9.27. And just as each person is destined to die, and after that comes judgment, so also Christ died for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again. Not to deal with our sins. No, that's not why he's coming back. But to bring salvation to those who are what? Who are eagerly waiting for him. Who are waiting for Passover. 
Paul and the Hebrew writers have a common theme, a common hope. It is the appointed times. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death. What? Until he comes again. It is an appointed time. The Hebrew writer says he will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to those who are eagerly waiting for him. It is an appointed time. He is our Sabbath. He is our Passover. Next week, we'll deal with unleavened bread. And I want you to understand, just like Israel, when the Passover lamb comes to you, your life begins. It never ends. It's forever. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this Passover. Thank you that we Gentiles who were once far away without hope and without God have been invited to this Passover lamb. We say hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus, in his name and amen. Thank you all.